Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I love doing this radio show. Do you love your job? I love my job. I love hosting this radio show, and I appreciate that you're here for it. Oregon State, Montana State, uh, we've talked some about that game already on today's show. That game is officially a sellout. You heard from Montana State's football coach uh, in hour number one. Uh, Coming up in hour three, Jonathan Smith will be with us, Oregon State's football coach. Be here for that. But that game's a sellout. What is not a sellout yet is the Oregon-BYU game. Tickets are still available. Uh, Oregon has a number of home games that have tickets still available. We can get into why that is uh, later in the show and, and, and talk about that a little bit. But... Uh, I want to talk about BYU. Uh, I want to make a deep dive on BYU football. And there's nobody better to talk about BYU football than the guy who covers it better than anybody else. Kevin Reynolds of the Salt Lake Tribune joining us. He is on the BYU beat. And I have to know, Kevin, as you join us here, I have to know what that beat is like and what that fan base is like to deal with. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of funny that you bring that up. It really depends on the day over here. Some days... Uh, it, the one way I would describe it is passionate, but you know, this is, this is a bunch that, uh, they're very, they're very interested in how they're going to fit into the big 12 landscape. And I, I think, uh, and, and depending on what you write, depending on the day it is, uh, the, the reactions can go very differently to, to what I'm writing. <laughs> and you get to, you probably get the, the fan base is nationwide, right? And, and in some cases it's global. I mean, because you know, when we talk about Oregon or Oregon State, we're talking regional fan base. Most of the fans rooted in the Pacific Northwest. But BYU fans, of course, you get a whole bunch in Salt Lake City and in the state of Utah, but you probably get BYU fans from all over the country. Yeah, no, every day I get emails almost every day from people who are based in Salt Lake but also based in, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, and, you know, you name it, kind of across the, the country um, for the most part is where I get emails from. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic to have people, you know, I work at the Salt Lake Tribune, so – to have people reading your stuff from all over the country is an interesting dynamic for sure. Give us an idea. Week one, uh, put 50 points on South Florida. Big win in week two over Baylor. Uh, two ranked teams. BYU gets that one. I think BYU is making a case uh, to be one of the best teams uh, in the western part of the United States, if not the best. But what hap- What was the difference between week one and week two? What kind of growth did you see? Yeah, I, I, let's start with week one, really. You see the 50 points that BYU's offense put up. And to be honest with you, I, I left that game and, and we wrote about it. It, it kind of felt a little hollow, um, to be honest with you, because the way they got those points, you have the first play of the game, they open up on a 75-yard end around uh, on a jet sweep type of play. And how, how much does that really translate to good teams and, and better teams like Baylor and Oregon's of the world? And I don't really know if it did. And, and then you also had a lot of defensive plays that, that BYU made in that first game. They had a, they had a pick six and – so you really looked at those 50 points, and, and you kind of wondered, how is this actually going to translate? Um, and then the other big thing was defensively. Um, I think the defense played well for BYU in the first week of the season, but again, it was a South Florida team that 
you know, isn't probably going to be very good this year, hasn't been good last year in the last couple of years. So you, you really had a lot of question marks going into that second week of the season. And for me, um, my main takeaways out of Baylor was that the defense uh, made a significant jump from week one to week two and really from last year to this year. Um, because remember, BYU played Baylor in 2021, and they gave up 303 yards of rushing offense. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a particularly close game. And I think over the offseason, we, we heard a lot from BYU's defensive coordinator, Eliza Tuiaki, about how he really wasn't making a lot of schematic adjustments, which was a little surprising. Um, but the, the the defense played really well, and I think that's probably the biggest jump that was made. Um, and as far as offensively goes, I think it's a little bit hard to judge right now where this offense is, mainly because BYU isn't playing with its top two receivers, um, and we don't really know the status of those uh, Puka Nakula and Gunnar Romney going into Oregon as well. So I, I think the defense is where you saw the biggest jump from week one to week two. Um, on BYU's team, but also the offense, we'll, we'll see. I think it really goes as Jaron Hall does, and then we'll see about the, the health of its two best players, for, uh, uh, two best offensive weapons after him. You mentioned Tuyaka, the defensive coordinator. He was formerly at Oregon State as a linebackers coach. Kalani Sataki was the D coordinator under Gary Anderson. They're now at BYU. How has that coaching staff gelled in your mind? And, and, and you know, these are guys that have coached together for a long time. Yeah, I mean, look at last year to this year. BYU didn't have any coaching turnover at all on its staff uh, from the coordinators and the assistants, which is uh, quite rare, obviously, in college football. And I think the, one of the things that, that sticks out to me, I haven't been covering this program for a long time, but just getting to know everybody in the first nine months and interviewing people, is that uh, Kalani Sataki puts a lot of trust into his coordinators and, and lets them kind of do their thing. Uh, he doesn't really – and he's – slow to kind of make changes. I think a lot of people have been talking about uh, Tuiaki specifically about this defense and how it needs to make a jump, particularly not just for this year, but into the Big 12. Like The defense kind of has been, you know, the depth needs to be better, and a lot of people have been questioning that. But Kalani Sataki's kind of stuck by him. So this coaching staff, I think the hallmark for BYU is just the continuity that it brings um, going into Oregon, going into the, to the Big 12, and they've been able to keep a lot of coordinators. And uh, I think that's the hallmark of, of this coaching staff right now. BYU headed into the Big 12. Uh, you know, obviously, we're all looking at how they can compete. They beat Baylor. What did that say about BYU and their ability to compete in the Big 12? You know, honestly, I go back and forth on this. You know, on initial uh, on initial thought, I think it makes a huge statement for BYU uh, in terms of their competitiveness in the Big 12. Baylor and Kalani Sataki kind of embraced it last week. He said Baylor is the, the standard of the Big 12, obviously the the, the champions of that conference last year. Um, and, and I think you also saw that Baylor and BYU have quite a few similarities in terms of the, the profiles of their institution, the religious nature of both, both schools, and just kind of the way they want to bring up their program um, in the Big 12. And I think BYU beating Baylor um, and, and kind of showing a lot of growth from 2021 to 2022 makes a huge statement about what this team can do in the Big 12. You know, I, I tend to still think that BYU is going to struggle um, at least in the first couple years of, of being in the conference, just because of the jump, uh, the natural jump that you have, but also that a lot of team, players on this team and a lot of contributors are going to be graduating or going to be leaving the program after this year. So it's going to be a much different team going into 2023 for BYU. But I think beating Baylor is a huge statement, and I definitely think uh, it changes the trajectory of this season. Um, but I think it gives a lot of confidence to BYU, uh, to be honest with you, that they can compete at this level eventually. Um, and kind of we'll see how fast that can happen, but I think eventually that, that's 
I think the Baylor wins says a lot, especially on the defensive side, because I think that's the biggest thing. I think people thought BYU can compete offensively in the Big 12 um, in a couple of years, but I think defensively was the biggest question mark. And the way they performed, I thought that was a, a, a good barometer for how that's going to be five, ten years down the line. Kevin Reynolds with us, covers BYU for the Salt Lake Tribune, does a hell of a job. He's a good follow on Twitter as well. Kevin Reynolds, 30 on Twitter. Uh, Kevin, the offensive side of the ball for BYU didn't run the ball really well against Baylor, but that may have had something to do with Baylor. Give us a player or two to keep an eye on. Keys for the game offensively for BYU. Yeah, I think the first one you're going to have to look out for uh, is Chase Roberts. I think he's going to have to play a huge role in this game for BYU. He's a true, uh, he's a, sorry, redshirt freshman. Um, hasn't he played in his second career college game? Uh, in, against Baylor, he had 122 yards on eight carry uh, on eight catches. Also had 15 targets, and I think the targets is what's interesting to me. I think there was a huge concern. We mentioned Gunnar Romney and Puka Nakua not really being able to play, um, and Gunnar Romney we haven't seen really practice in over a month now or about a month now. So I, I think the trust level uh, we, we were we were interested to see just as you know observers and people who cover this team of who's Jaron Hall going to throw to at this point, and I think Chase Roberts is the answer to that, um, judging by last week and how much he was involved in the offense. So I think that's the first person you've got to look out for as key contributors. You can also talk about Jaron Hall, and I think everybody, that goes without saying, but the second guy I'll list is probably Chris Brooks. And, and you mentioned BYU not being able to run the ball particularly well. I think that's a huge concern going into this game because BYU's offensive line was the strong suit of this team and, and really the best unit on this team going into 2022 and, and them not being able to really compete against Baylor, even if it is a very good defensive line, was a little bit concerning because they never really had wins. The largest run of the game for Chris Brooks was seven yards. For Lapini Katoa, was six yards. So it, there just weren't a lot of holes there. So I think this week, another guy that BYU, if they're going to win this game, I think Chris Brooks is another guy to look out for, BYU starting running back. Uh, can he have over 31 yards um, of, of rushing? Aaron Rodgers talked about this, him in particular saying, he wants him to be a guy that, that carries the ball 20 times. I think that's when he thinks the offense is at, at its most dynamic. He had 13 carries in, in week two, and the defense was on the field quite a bit because of it. So I think Chris Brooks and, and Chase Roberts are the two people I would look out for uh, come Saturday on the offensive side of the ball. You know, going to Oregon and, and playing against the Ducks, it used to mean a lot to BYU. I can remember over the years, like, BYU got up for those games. Even if it was a bowl game, BYU was excited to be in that bowl game, and I saw BYU beat Oregon badly in a Vegas Bowl years and years ago. But does it still hold that draw for the BYU fan base and for the teams, or are they on to different things now that they're headed into the Big 12? You know, that's kind of an interesting question. I think overall it definitely can be made the, the, the debate of, like, how much does this, this game mean to the program overall? I'm not really sure. But at the same time, I think this game in particular, like, isolated in and of itself, is a massive game for BYU and I think they recognize that. I mean, this is a top 25 matchup. This is um, also BYU, like, like, well, let's be honest with this. Like, if they, they've set out their goal of saying, okay, we want to make the New Year's Six, they want to be ranked inside the top 10. Um, and that's the goals that they set out. And in order to do that, it's going to require close to perfection. Um, and it's also going to require going on the road at a team like Oregon and boosting your resume. And I think after Baylor, uh, we, we wrote about it and saying, are the expectations to this season kind of starting to be rewritten? And yes, to a certain degree, that's true, but it only works if BYU goes in and beats a team like Oregon. So I think this is a massive game. The biggest con the concern, I think, from BYU side is 
just how close this game was on the heels of, of Baylor. Um, you know, a very emotional game and a very emotional win and a very physical game. So the health and just how close these two games are, I think, is a huge, huge storyline going into it for BYU. But I definitely would say this means a lot to this program. It means a lot to this team in particular, um, just given this season. Our listeners are, are tuned in to what has uh, happened with the Duke volleyball accusations and the back and forth in South Carolina backing out of that home-and-home basketball series. How much has that clouded the narrative for you and, and for BYU in general this season as, as people sort of navigate that incident? I mean, I think, obviously, I've spent a ton of time on that story since uh, August 26th when it happened. And so, so for me, it's taken a lot of time. And I think for a lot of BYU fans, it's taken a lot of time. As far as clouding the football season, I'm not, I'm not really sure if that's happened. But at the same time, though, you know, it is, I've said it multiple times, like it is the biggest story um, at BYU right now for sure. Um, and it's been the biggest story for the last uh, two-plus weeks. So we've seen, you know, and, and, and it's become a national story. So it's definitely something that, that has been overarching over BYU uh, since it happened and, and still kind of lingers right there right now. How much validity to that thing? And how much now do you look and go, okay, it's a he said, she said, and, you know, help us, like give us the Cliff Notes version. I guess I'll kind of start by saying, you know, I, my my you know perspective as, as a reporter, you know, like my job is to, to cover the story as it is. So, um, and that's what we've been doing. So I think I think the just kind of taking through the Cliff Notes version of what's happened, and because a lot has happened in this story for sure. You know, obviously August 26th, Duke comes in and plays BYU on BYU's campus in in uh, the field house right next to the to the uh, football practice facility, so it's right on campus. And uh, that day, we didn't really hear much until the next day when um, Rachel Richardson, who is the Duke player, um, who said that she was called repeatedly a racial slur by somebody in BYU student section, uh, that next day uh, a tweet came out from her godmother who, who uh, kind of came out with those allegations. And, and since then, the story's kind of evolved, and, and we've been covering it, I think, Oh, I, I talked to um, Rachel Richardson's father that day as well, and, and, and kind of the story took off from there. And I would say Rachel Richardson spoken several times since then, once to ESPN, once she, she also gave a statement. And I think immediately after that happened, BYU banned a fan from the, the, from the university premises um, indefinitely, and it was the fan that Duke Volleyball had identified as the person who was making – uh, saying the racial slurs, and then BYU launched an investigation. So I know this is kind of taking a long time, but, you know, the timeline, that's kind of how the timeline is. And it was until uh, just a couple of days ago when BYU, or right before the Baylor game, that Friday right before the Baylor game, BYU closed this investigation and said it did not find evidence of the uh, racial slur being used, and they reinstated the fan. So, uh, But right now I think the West Coast Conference has also come out and said that they've reviewed the internal investigation that BYU had, they called it transparent, but they also said that they did not, they did not believe that uh, Rachel Richardson was lying by any stretch of the imagination. She said they, the, from the West Coast Conference, they said uh, their perspective was that it could have happened, that no evidence has come forth right now. And they also said that multiple Duke players uh, reported language from BYU's fan base that did violate the sportsman's conduct of the West Coast Conference. So, and that kind of brings us to today. So, that's kind of the cliff notes version and the, the timeline that we've had. 
Yeah, so that, far over the last two that's, weeks. That's messy, man. And I know, like, you, you're you in this, you know, you're into covering the football, covering the sports and stuff, and up pops this other story. You're doing a great job on it. Kevin Reynolds is with us, Salt Lake Tribune. All right, uh, give us your pick for this game. How do you see Oregon-BYU unfolding? I'm a little uncertain about Oregon, just full disclosure over here, Kevin. I mean, we, we kind of still don't know what Dan Lanning in, in Oregon is going to be this season. Yeah, full, full, full transparency for me. At the beginning of the season, I picked Oregon to win this game. And uh, then I obviously have been watching from afar, from a distance. Obviously, I watched the, uh, the Georgia game that Oregon played and then the game last week. And I'm, I'm really, you know, very different weeks. And I think it's hard for me personally to judge what this Oregon team is, uh, just kind of like what you're saying. So and I think, honestly, after the Baylor game for BYU, I kind of shifted my tune on what this game can be for BYU. I don't think it's a blowout by any stretch. I think it's a close game, but I, I think if BYU, and it's a big if, it definitely is. Uh, one game doesn't necessarily mean that that is who you are, but if BYU's defense plays the way like it did against Baylor, I, I think BYU can win this game and come out in a, in a close one, maybe 35-31. Uh, you know, the, the, the big question mark to me, like you said, is, is who is this Oregon team? I'm not really sure, and I think it's always early in the season. It's always hard to predict these types of games. But I just, for me right now, and uh, just being, maybe it's because I'm around the BYU program and it's recency biased as well coming off of Baylor, but I just think BYU's made a bigger statement at this point of who they are against Tom competition and, uh, and really a lack of answers right now on who Oregon is. So I think BYU can squeak, squeak one out in Oregon, but I don't think it's going to be easy, and, and it really depends on who this Oregon team is. Now, you grew up in Jersey. What exit did you grow up in in Jersey? <laughs> yeah, no, I actually grew up in central Jersey, which a lot okay. of people say don't exist. So that's, uh, that's just my, my, what I say. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you, you went to college at SMU. SMU has been mm-hmm. talked about as a possible target for the Pac-12 <laughs> and expansion. Now, just because yeah. it's in Dallas. But give us an idea. Does SMU belong in the Pac-12? Uh the, the, the statement I always say to that is SMU believes that they belong in the Pac-12, and that's for sure. Um, I'm not really sure. I think, uh, I think SMU is kind of a weird spot in their program and, and just the history of their program. I think SMU has tried to make a lot of leaps as, as a football program, but as an athletic department and, and trying to be Power 5 ready. And I, I think sometimes they come up short and they still have a lot of room to grow in that situation. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's a complicated question for me personally, but I, I think SMU certainly believes that that they do belong in the Pac-12. They also belong. They thought they belonged in the Big 12. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's true of both situations for us. Nothing, nothing wrong with being confident. Kevin Reynolds, <laughs> I appreciate you. Keep doing good work at the Salt Lake Tribune. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. BYU coming to Autzen Stadium on Saturday. Big opportunity for Dan Lanning and the Ducks. Will they get it done? Dan Lanning, by the way, on tomorrow's radio show. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. We take a dive on Oregon. Who are they? What are they about? Next. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Number 12 BYU coming to Hudson Stadium on Saturday against the 25th ranked Oregon Ducks. 12.30 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Brock Heward among those on the broadcast. Oregon uh, will face a ranked opponent for the second time this season. And, and, and Anna's popped into the studio. I want to kick this around a little bit. BYU's a tough matchup. 
It is. BYU comes to play. BYU, I think, is pretty good. Oregon, I don't know. I don't know if Oregon is this Oregon. Early in the second quarter, terrible interception. Picked off and run back by Christopher Smith. And Todd, you talked about it, Bo Nix. The highs are very high, but he makes a lot of critical mistakes that he's thrown two picks already. Are we going to get the Oregon that lost 49-3 to against Georgia? Are we going to get the Oregon that put up a 70-burger on Eastern Washington? And this is going to be a walk-in for Cardwell. Byron Cardwell with a touchdown. Great efficiency from Bo Nix. He saw it early. His tight ends out on the perimeter. Found his back. Perfect location on that front number. Uh, if uh, it, are we going to get Dan Lanning after the after the game on Saturday against BYU talking like he was after the loss to Georgia? Uh, I don't I don't know about surprised. You know, I, if you go back and you look at the game, you know it, it wasn't forty yard, fifty yard explosive plays down the field. You know they really did a great job of what we kind of said post game on the perimeter. They were able to make successful completions for Stetson, and he operated that system really really well. He knew where he was going with the ball. Um, but a lot of those completions were early, and then they won on the edge, and we didn't. Um, you know, I think yards after contact were a huge piece, which means we got to do a better job of tackling. we got to do a better job fundamentally, um, and that's really where a lot of it starts. Um, I think there are some, some ways that we can help our players by what we call. Uh, they, can, they can help that, but I know for me personally, I'm self-reflecting on all the things that I can do better, and I think every player on our team, every coach is doing the exact same. They gave up 49 to uh, Georgia, who looked a lot like the best team in the country, and then they blasted Eastern Washington. I'll say this, it's never been a lack of effort from our players. They've always been committed to doing it right. That doesn't mean we've always done it right, and that's for our coaches as well. Um, but the standard is the standard. We're not going to accept less than the standard regardless of who our opponent is. So that's why I've said so much. You know, really this week was about playing us, right, and playing our, the best version of us. I think our guys really bought into that uh, at the beginning of the week. And even though Wednesday wasn't the sharpest practice for us, I think they saw, hey, hard work pays off, right? And when you can combine, you know, uh, really deliberate practice with some talent and skill set, you're going to have uh, great success. All right, so what? My my simple answer is BYU is probably somewhere in the middle, talent-wise, between Georgia and Eastern Washington. Probably closer to Georgia on the scale than Eastern Washington. But where is Oregon? That's the question. We don't know. We don't know how good Oregon is. We don't know if Dan Lanning can coach. We don't know what what the season's going to be like for Oregon. So I I have all like when the schedule came out, I looked at week three, this Saturday's game, BYU coming to Hudson Stadium. And I went, that's the week where we find out where Oregon is, what they can be. Is this season going to go somewhere fun and interesting and dynamic? Or is this just going to be a transitional season? You look at the the offensive and defensive staff, you look at the players on the roster, you see the turnover of the coaches over the years, but from frankly, from Willie Taggart to Mario Cristobal, now to Dan Lanning, and we go, okay, this is where the growing pains set in, but who are they? We find out Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why there would be some nervous Duck fans uh, about this game. Because, I mean, don't you think this is kind of a, a must-win game for the Ducks to define themselves for this season? I, I think I'm just echoing yeah, you a little bit. But I don't know if it's must-win because, 
like if they lose the game, it's not like you know they have to fold up and they don't get to play the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. But if they lose the game, I do think it tells us they are probably not a contender in the Pac-12. And look, you can get to the college football playoff with one loss. You can get to Las Vegas by you know probably having two losses in conference play. Like you you know you're not a you're not a playoff team, but you could still get to Vegas and play maybe Utah or USC for the conference championship. If you are, uh, you know, a team that is sitting there with, you know, two losses in conference play, but I feel like if they lose this BYU game, it's going to tell us that like the upside for Oregon might be like a Holiday Bowl, like it's like they're not going somewhere grand or an Alamo Bowl or you know maybe even a trip back to Vegas for the Vegas Bowl, but not the Pac-12 championship game. So it's kind of where I'm looking at them and going, okay, if they lose this game. I don't think we can assume that they're going to beat Washington. I don't think we can assume they're going to beat Washington State. I don't think we can assume that they're going to hang in there against Oregon State. I think it raises a whole bunch of questions for Dan Lanning. Well, and again, we go back to the question of if (laughs) – I mean, it's kind of sad that we're talking about if they lose. It's a matter of how they lose, right? So it's a matter of whether they are competitive against BYU, whether they're in the game, or whether it's a blowout and the way in which they would lose. I also am interested to kind of see where BYU is. Like, you know, they had a very emotional game, as our guest in the last segment pointed out, against Baylor a week ago. Is it possible that BYU is looking at Oregon, as I said, and going, hey, you know what, Um, we just had our big emotional moment. Is it possible that BYU comes out flat in a game where they normally don't come out flat? Steve and Sean, you have a take on BYU-Oregon. I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's uh, two pretty even teams. I think there's some advantages built in for Oregon, and I think that's why they're favored. You know, the spread, when it came out that Oregon was three-and-a-half-point favorites after BYU just beat Baylor, a top-ten team, I was surprised. But I do think that Oregon's a really, really good home team. They have the second-longest home winning streak in all of uh, Power 5 behind Clemson. They haven't lost since 2018 at Austin Stadium. And I think, obviously, you know, you look at Week 2, BYU coming off of that emotional game against Baylor, you know, went to overtime versus Oregon. They had a nice relaxing week last week. So those uh, those factors favor Oregon, but I agree. The implications, you know, it's similar to uh, the, the past couple of games for Oregon State. Like, it's just, it's must-win games against, you know, non-Power 5 schools right now. So, uh, yeah, you have to win this one. And even if Oregon does win this one, the, the start of the Pac-12 schedule is a little tricky, too, with Washington State and Stanford. So, uh, definitely a, a crucial couple of weeks for Oregon here. During the summer, we talked about what is Dan Lanning as a coach, and there was no way to tell. And this was always the game that we pointed at to say, okay, this is where we finally figured out, is Dan Lanning a good coach or not? Or is it a, you know the start of something good? And I think it's still unknown, right? We I didn't expect Oregon to win against Georgia. I expected them to get blown out. They did. I expected Oregon to blow out Eastern Washington. They did. So nothing has surprised me so far this season with the Ducks. It is all about this game right now. And I agree with Sean. Like, this is a very close game. Three and a half point spread. I think Oregon is the more talented team. I think Oregon, since they're at home, should get the victory. Um, I know I'll be picking Oregon in this game for sure. And I'm not even a Duck fan. But this seems like a spot where... Like you're you're right, John. If the Ducks are good, if the Ducks are going to compete for that Pac-12 title, this is the type of game that you have to win over BYU. How much of a factor, Sean? Given that you know you went to Oregon, um, I, I I don't think the students are fully back on campus yet. How much of a factor is that in terms of the atmosphere at Autzen? 
Oh, I, I think the students will find a way to be there. Uh, it, it's a huge factor. You know, these the, the Eastern Washington game was not indicative of what Autzen's going to be this season. However, you know, it's September 14th right now. School, you know, I'm not involved anymore, but school probably starts in about 10 days. Uh, you know, I, I think students will start filing in. I think this will be the game that students are uh, are kind of starting to get back on campus. I'm sure there's a lot of students that are making plans to uh, come to school a little bit early to be at this game. I, I'm not worried about the crowd here, even if it's not sold out. I, I expect Dotson to be absolutely rocking. I uh, texted with a friend this morning. He's got a daughter who goes to Oregon. He says he dropped her today. Like, they went down today. Mm-hmm. And she's a sophomore, but they took her down today. So I think there will be some students there. I also just think that this is the kind of game, like, it – that we learn about Dan Lanning, and he is 36 years old. He is the youngest coach in the Pac-12. He is the youngest coach in Power 5 conference football. And Kalani Sataki on the other side, you know, I know Kalani a little bit because he was at Oregon State as the D coordinator, and his D coordinator now at BYU was the linebacker coach at Oregon State. So I know these guys. These guys played in the BFT Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. <laughs> and I've texted a little bit with Kalani, and – I find myself looking back at the text string, and it's congratulating him on great game, great defensive effort, good win against a Pac-12 team, nice job. Like, he has had good success there. He's established himself. He's got himself uh, a second contract at BYU. And I look at their numbers. You know, there are two games this year. Both opponents were held under 175 passing yards. They've only allowed one passing touchdown this season. They have held both uh, opponents this season to 21 points or less, and four of the last six opponents have not got to 21 points. It feels to me, guys, tell me if you agree, the test this week is Oregon's offense against BYU's defense. Yeah, I don't know that BYU necessarily has an explosive offense, and both their top receivers were out last week. Uh, We'll find out if they're going to play this week, but I don't think BYU's offense you know, it's not the Zach Wilson offense that we saw a couple years ago with the Cougars. They're more of a you know strong-nosed defensive ball club. So you're right. Is it going to be Bo Nix not making mistakes, making the smart play, or is it going to be the Bo Nix of Georgia? I think that is the question, and that's the question I've had all season long with the Ducks and Bo Nix. I think this is the type of game where the Ducks can get out there and get some, get some points on the board. Am I wrong to be a little bit more optimistic after they just put 70 on Eastern Washington, or is that completely... Completely no, out of the picture. I don't think you're wrong, but look, there were some throws in that game. Anybody who saw that game knows. There were some throws Bo Nix made that he probably doesn't get away with against BYU. Mm-hmm. Could be a pick six. Like, there were a couple throws where you know if it were Georgia, it was six the other way. And, and he, he got away with them. And maybe that's maybe Bo Nix knew that, and that's why he makes the throw, and maybe he sees it on film, and he goes, okay, against a better team, better athlete out of there in the corner, I can't make that throw. But it... It left me thinking Oregon's not going to be perfect here in Pac-12 play, and I don't think anybody thought they were going to be. I think the next two games they had, you know, they're hosting BYU, and then they go to Washington State. That's a really tough stretch uh, for Dan Lanning and his program. If they can get through that two and zero somehow, they get Stanford at home. They go to Arizona. I think they can be sitting there with four or five in a row there at, at that point. So. You got to get this one though first, and beating BYU at Autzen Stadium. I think Autzen Stadium's the the big uh, advantage. Well, and I'm a little nervous because I, you know, when you look at Dan Lanning's comments leading into this game, he's not going into this game 
with an abundance of confidence just in the statements that he's making. He's making reference to how this is the kind of game that an Autzen crowd can make a big impact uh, you know, in the game. He's talking about the physicality and the violence uh, of BYU. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe that's just his personality. Like, we're coming off of, you know, Mr. Testosterone himself, Mario Cristobal, right? And maybe that's just a different persona in Dan Lanning. Um, but I don't know. It, 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 it makes me nervous for the Ducks. Look, it's an opportunity. And I think if you're Dan Lanning, you, you go, this is a great opportunity. But I'm a little skittish for Oregon. I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure. I make my pick tomorrow on this game. I'm not sure where I'm going on this one. Like, I heard Steven say he's picking Oregon, and I went, okay, but I'm not sure yet. Sean, you picking Oregon? Yeah, just because of the home field. Like, Oregon is really, really good at Autzen Stadium. And, again, I like some things that I saw last week. Like, I I, it, I wasn't completely flipped from the Georgia game, but I was definitely a lot more optimistic after watching uh, them play against Eastern Washington and dominate the way that they did. I think it's going to be really close. I, I like that BYU's receivers, uh, like three of them, are, are injured right now. So even if they do play, it might be kind of a decoy thing. And I like Oregon at home. I will say the thing that worries me is what you're talking about is the physicality. Uh, you know, Georgia went out and physically just pushed Oregon around. They did not react well. How is Oregon going to react? Because BYU is that team. They're the type of team that wants to push you around and be physical. I want to think that Oregon being at home, being in the comfort at Austin Stadium, is going to you know bounce back and react well to being hit in the face right at the start of the game. But you know, you never know. I think they will. But that's the real question for me. And, and the other thing is, like, are you buying the narrative that Georgia's that good? If Georgia's that good, then you kind of throw away that first week and you go, look, Oregon's not on playoff level, but where are they? And that's what we find out against BYU because Eastern Washington is on the way other end of the spectrum and, you know, Oregon just made it look as easy as Georgia made it look in week one. Leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.